0: Hi, I'm Dr. Wajita Small, Purpose Alignment Coach and host of Leading with Purpose, a podcast for career and entrepreneur women of color on the rise into positions of leadership and influence in their organizations and industries. I'm a devoted wife, daughter, sister, friend, and mentor. I'm a leadership scholar by education, a human resources executive by profession, entrepreneur by choice, and an author by calling. I love life and I love living and working in my purpose, which is to be a resource and advocate for the often unheard, overlooked, and underestimated. I'm excited to share my knowledge with you and hope to provide you with the tools to turn your purpose into practice and your practice into success. Welcome and thank you for joining me. Welcome, welcome, welcome to episode five of the Leading with Purpose podcast. Today's episode is titled, I'm Not Your Superwoman The Truth Behind Sojourner Syndrome. Some of you may know what this is, and some may not, but I need you to understand that all of us have been suffering from this for a very long time, and we need to talk about it. It has been passed down by our foremothers, and if we don't do something now, we will pass it on to our daughters and they will pass it on to theirs and the cycle will continue. Talking about it and understanding it and acknowledging its existence in our lives is the only way we can heal ourselves and prevent future harm to our daughters. Now, my goal is not to scare you, but you should be scared, and I'm going to tell you why. First, I want to start off with a passage from my book, Our Leadership Journey, Shared Stories, Lessons, and Advice for Women of Color, which will be going on pre-sale on August 17th. You can go to my website, www.yjudasmall.com, slash book for more information. So now let's get into it. The idea of being superwoman was a prevalent theme in my research. This was across all women of color, but in particular, the black women I spoke with. And this passage is from chapter nine. I'm a firm believer that we are all magical creatures with gifts beyond measure. With our collective power, we can save the world. However, we cannot be superwoman to everyone all the time. Please be warned. The superwoman complex is a schema as it is sometimes called, and it's very real and can be detrimental to our health. Some studies suggest that there is a link between what is considered a multiple role woman and stress. In both popular culture and academic studies about women who have multiple roles within society, stress is often considered an inevitable outcome. In one particular study, stress has been defined as a heightened state of emotional or physical arousal occurring when demands from the environment, such as engaging in multiple roles, place pressure on an individual's capacity to adapt. According to the American Psychological Association, the Sojourner Syndrome and the Superwoman Schema, SWS, concepts are used to explain the phenomenon of early onset of morbidity among African-American women in response to the persistent chronic stress and active coping associated with meeting day-to-day demands and having multiple caregiver roles. When you put this into context, it appears we are being raised to kill ourselves literally and figuratively. Yes, That sounds very morose, but for some, it has been their truth. As women of color, our culture, norms, values, and history have taught us that we must be everything to everyone all of the time, and we are expected to do so without any support. We are expected to be home, taking care of our family, however that is defined, go to work, deal with racial and gender discrimination, be twice as good, work twice as hard, and be the epitome of health. It is impossible, and we know it. So it is no wonder why many of us shy away when it comes to taking on even more. Now, as a scholar practitioner, you all know that anything I share with you will be grounded in research and supported by practice. I want to start off with some research to provide you with a foundation of knowledge about the Superwoman Schema. So, so that you have a deeper understanding of it. This will allow you to to be able to contextualize the work that you need to do when we move into discussing shifting our thoughts, behaviors, and actions to begin a practice of healing and change. Now, while there are a decent few articles out there on the topic, the one that I have gone to to reference on multiple occasions is by Dr. Cheryl Woods-Juscombe. RN and assistant professor at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. And please pardon me if I messed up her name because I probably did. I tend to do that a lot. But the title of the article is Superwoman Schema, African-American Women's Views on Stress, Strength, and Health. And it was published in 2010 in the Qualitative Health Research Journal. And she really breaks it down in a way that's very easy to understand. I'll link the article in the show notes, but just to give you a brief background, the research was a qualitative study using eight focus groups. Participants ranged in age from 19 to 72, with the median age being 29 years old and the average age being 34, and they varied in educational attainment from less than 12 years of education to a terminal degree such as a PhD or JD and other professional backgrounds. The focus group discussion included... The following questions. When I say the word stress, what does it mean for you? What causes stress in your life? How do you cope with stress? How did the women you see, your mothers, grandmothers in your life, cope with stress? Have you ever heard the term strong black woman or black superwoman? What is a strong black woman? or superwoman to you? What are her characteristics? How did they develop? Is being a strong black woman or black superwoman a good thing? Is there anything bad about being a strong black woman? Now the results of the study identified five characterizations for the superwoman role and four contextual factors that contribute to the superwoman role. Now let's get into it. The first characterization is obligation to manifest strength. Now this is the feeling that it was needed to constantly present the image of strength for the sake of friends, family, children. And the research found that this was the most prevalent in women who were older than 45 with some higher education. This feeling of obligation to present the image of strength came from the images that they saw of strength from women they believed had experienced greater challenges than they did, their mothers, grandmothers, other women they had held esteem for that that they've crossed paths with or saw in the media. The research also found that many of the women felt a sense of pride in being able to manifest The image of strength. Now, I want to point out a few things. The first is this notion of manifesting the image of strength. The word image is very important here. What this implies is that at any given time, these women, us, we may have been going through things that were breaking us, yet presented in a way that everything was just fine. I won't lie. I do this far more often than I should. And I know it's not healthy. And I imagine so many of you do and have done this as well. And we just, we need to get out of that. The second thing I want to point out is the sense of pride at manifesting the image of strength. Speaking for myself, I think it's, I think it's less a sense of pride, but more determination at not being seen as weak. Having come from, you know, quote unquote, strong women, strong ancestors, there's this expectation that you two will be the same and you, you don't want to disappoint. I know I don't want to disappoint, but we, we have to change that. And we'll talk about that, but let's get on to the second characterization, so the second characterization is obligation to suppress emotion. Now, what was revealed is that many of us feel that no one would understand what we are going through. Now, ladies, is this not the truth? I definitely have felt like this. I realize, though, that, that it's, not, it's not the truth, and we need to be okay with sharing our emotions, of course. Of course with people we trust, but we can't keep things bottled in. You know, I've I've always used the excuse that I'm a private person. And to some extent that is extremely true. However, for me showing too much emotion meant that I was weak. And if we go back to the first characterization, we must appear to be strong at all costs. No. No no, no, but I digress. We're gonna continue with this. The other piece from the research was that professional women more specifically believed that they had to suppress their emotions in the workplace. This is important. With my background and experience, I can definitely attest to this. Work can be extremely stressful and we get tried on a daily basis but we feel as if we can't express ourselves without being judged. I think this is less about our fear or ability to do so, but more the environments that we are in that do not allow us to do this, or value our emotions to the point where it's considered unacceptable for us to express them. This is important for us to realize, extremely important, because we always have to take stock in our environments the places that we find ourselves in and recognize whether or not those environments have our best interest in mind. And if you've had experience in corporate America, or just going through, lots of places don't want us there and we make ourselves there and they're not supportive of us. And it's just, it perpetuates all of this. But again, let's Let's continue, we're going, to, we're going to get into that. The third characteristic is resistance to being vulnerable or dependent. The focus group reported that putting up, that, that having to constantly put up their defenses, that they had to constantly put up their defenses um, and didn't know how to accept help. Again, I think this is twofold. I agree that part of our problem is not knowing how to ask for help because we're used to doing everything ourselves. On the, un- on the other hand, asking for help, again, shows a sign of weakness, which we don't want to display. This is a truth for many of us. The women also revealed that if they appear to be vulnerable, people would take advantage of them. And now I speak about this in my book. Specifically, I discuss the connections between visibility and vulnerability. When we are in positions of leadership, we become more visible. And with that visibility, we become more vulnerable to the scrutiny of others. And it is this scrutiny that we feel will reveal weakness that will validate the doubt that people had about our ability to effectively lead in the first place. To that end, we do not ask for help and often get burned out frequently, which has a negative impact on our mental and physical health. You you all know this. And all of this creates the narrative of needing and wanting complete control over everything, which in and of itself is unhealthy. The fourth characteristic is determination to succeed despite limited resources. We are quite good at making silk out of a sack, regardless of the toll it will take on us to do so. We've always had to be twice as good, work twice as hard to be seen and heard in a way that our white counterparts are. Now, for the participants in the study, this manifested in ways such as routinely working late, neglecting taking breaks, sacrificing sleep, and putting their health in danger to reach their goals. I will not speak for anyone but myself. I know these are things that I have done. I do, I do them much less now, and that's because of the health issues it has caused me and other sacrifices I've had to, to make so that, I can, so that I can have a better quality of life. But I want to point out, too, that sometimes there's a pressure to be more than those that came before us, especially if we've seen them struggle or experienced struggle as we were growing up. On the other side, it's the pressure of others for us to be more. Dr. Woods Giscombe wrote: "Some women were the first in their families to attain certain educational and professional achievements, and as a result, expressed that they could not rely on their family members to provide the extra boost of resources that other more privileged individuals might have." Several women reported that their determination to succeed despite limited resources came from a strong desire to provide for their children. For some, succeeding meant balancing the simultaneous demands of raising their children, completing their education, and working full time without the assistance of a husband or their children's father. Although a number of study participants were intrinsically ambitious and goal oriented, some of them, some of these women expressed that they also experienced pressure from others to be successful. This is So true for so many women. And again, this goes back into having those multiple roles. And in in a future episode, I'm going to talk about culture and multiple roles and the impact that that has on our ability to, to move within our careers and be successful and move into positions of leadership and influence but I just I want to note now that that's major for us our our culture, how we were raised, the expectations that we have um, and how and how it impacts us. But let's move on to the fifth and final characteristic, which is obligation to help others. <laughs> um, so I'll talk about culture and multiple rules again in another episode, but I wanted to make that note Um, more specifically and as it relates to this characteristic that the, the responsibility to make sure that everyone else's needs are met. Good gracious Lord, we have to stop this. Have you ever heard that you are in no position to help anyone unless you are able to help yourself. Again, speaking for myself, all I did was do for others and I completely neglected myself. This was at work, in intimate relationships with my family and I was dying on the inside and withering away on the outside. Like literally, I, at one point I lost so much weight. I had a colleague really ask me like, she was like, are you, girl, are you sick? Now don't get me wrong, I want to do for other people, that I, especially those that I love. I have to do for me first. I realized that this responsibility that I actually this is a responsibility that I actually put on myself because I saw my mom and my grandma do it and felt that I needed to do it as well because that was the that was the image I saw, you know, and not only did it hurt those I told myself I was helping, but I was severely hurting myself. And, you know, I'm not embarrassed to say that I needed to seek help. I went to a therapist. You know, I was becoming so angry at other people for what I believed was a burden they were placing on me, and I was lashing out, not really realizing that it was a burden I had placed on myself. When we get into the contributing contextual factors... It's going to provide a better understanding, but I have to point out that a lot of this we are socialized to do. And when we understand this, we will be better equipped to understand how we can change our behavior. And I know I know that was a lot, and it's going to take some time to process. So as the saying goes, there's no time like the present, so I'm going to pile on some more for you to consider. Now let's talk about the contributing contextual factors Dr. Woods-Giscombe identified. And there are four of them. First is the historical legacy of racial and gender stereotyping or oppression. Second is lessons from our foremothers. Third, a past personal history of disappointment, mistreatment, or abuse. And fourth, spiritual values. So historical legacy of racial and gender stereotyping or oppression. What does that mean? Several of the women from the study discussed how their direct or indirect experiences with racial and gender stereotyping and oppression contributed to the superwoman role. Additionally, they felt that a historical legacy of racial and gender inequality resulted in difficulty obtaining resources and mentoring from more experienced professionals, which they deemed as necessary for survival in the professional arena. Having access to the right resources for professional growth is critical. These experiences are not uncommon. I've gone through this and I know how many of you have gone through this as well. When we don't see anyone who looks like us, we go extra hard to be that person for other people. Now, lessons from our foremothers. This was mentioned earlier. What we see our our mothers and grandmothers do and how we pattern our life after theirs or go so hard not to have the same life especially when we see struggle, is it, it plays a major role. Many of the participants in the study described that they were taught self-sufficiency by their mothers and grandmothers. I know I definitely have, and I often find myself referring to what my mother did for our family and finding myself doing the same things. At the same time, I call her out for doing too much for people. But it, it's a cycle because my grandmother does the same thing. She is still taking care of people. She has no business taking care of, but that's what she knows. She says her mother and grandmother did it. You know, self-sufficiency is very important. Don't get me wrong, but so is asking for help. Now, moving into past, a past personal history of disappointment, mistreatment, or abuse. Yo, this is, this is just, I don't, I don't even know what to say. The trauma we experience is real and it has a severe impact on, you know, if, how, when we express ourselves. What, what I thought was particularly interesting from the study was the expression of feeling let down by family and friends when we need support, and how it prevented, how it prevented the, the women from continuing to seek support and guidance. Some also described experiencing childhood distress as a result of their mothers being in abusive relationships. The other piece that was just extra real was the women who talked about experiences with abuse and how those experiences created suspicion Fear, apprehension, and mistrust, which led to the development of resistance to depending on others or being placed in vulnerable positions. I'm going to say it again. The the trauma that we experience is real and has a severe impact on if, how, and when we express ourselves. And one thing that I learned in therapy is that being able to communicate and express yourself, express your thoughts, express your feelings, is the first step in healing. Because in being able to express it, you acknowledge it, you accept that it happened, you stop denying that it was real, And you can start to take steps to heal from it. And as it was evident in the study, as it is evident in our real lives, it's not doing us any good, right? So now let's move on to spiritual values. Many of the women in the study talked about how faith, religion, and spirituality helped them to manifest strength to reach their goals and help them overcome challenges without the help of other people. Dr. Woods Juscombe writes that they specifically discussed how relying on God offered encouragement in the context of inadequate, tangible resources. The women discussed that faith strengthened their determination and resolve to succeed despite limited resources. We are a deeply spiritual group of people. And while we may find strength in our faith, religion, spirituality, it's important to understand that God put mental health professionals on the earth to help us. We need to move away from just putting it in God's hands and use the resources he provides to us. And Dr. Giscombe also talks about the perceived benefits and liabilities of the superwoman role in this article. And I'll let you read that on your own. Um, and I want to close with how we can start to move past the notion that we have to be superwoman. How do we shift our mindset and behaviors from believing that we are responsible for everyone except for ourselves? For me, the first is to believe that our lives are just as valuable as everyone else's. I don't think we value ourselves as much as we should. And this is evident in this research, in my research, and in the statistics around our morbidity. We take so much time taking care of other people's well-being, we neglect our own. We need to stop and take a minute and reflect on what we need to do to better ourselves, prioritize our needs, and get to a place where we are giving from an overflow and not taking away from already depleted resources. Second, I think we need to shift from a responsible for to a responsible to mindset when it comes to others. We are only responsible for ourselves. We are responsible to others. Understanding the difference between the two makes a huge difference in setting healthy boundaries for ourselves. Being responsible Four means taking ownership of the thoughts, behaviors, and actions of others, which we have no control over. Being responsible two means advising and guiding others toward behaviors and actions that they should take and leaving it up to them to make the decision to do so. I will talk about what being responsible means. Um, in particular, being a responsible leader in a future episode, but I wanted to bring that to the forefront of your minds. Third, we have to remember that we are human and we can break. I am a strong believer that we are divine beings and that we can take on more than most. But that does not mean that we should. There's a song by Goapole called Strong as Glass. And the chorus reads, Because I am only as strong as glass, they say I'm built to last, but I could break. I am only as strong as glass, and I am all I have, so if I break, there is no more. Our bodies can break. Our minds can break. Our souls can break. We are doing ourselves a disservice If we do not accept this, taking care of ourselves and making ourselves a priority is not selfish. It is necessary for our survival and we really can't do anything for anyone if we're dead. That's just the truth. Fourth, we have to love ourselves. Self-love is major, especially when we are socialized to hate ourselves. Remember, love is an action, not an emotion. In her book, All About Love, Bell Hooks wrote, love as the will to extend one's self for the purpose of nurturing one's own or another's spiritual growth. Love is as love does. Love is an act of will, namely both an intention and an action. Finally, get some help, professional mental help, if you need it. Don't be afraid to go see a therapist or other mental health professional when it becomes too much. As a matter of fact, go see them before it comes, becomes so much so that you can stop it before it gets to that point. Everyone else's burdens are not ours to bear. Now, before we go, I want to ask you all a few questions. I want you to engage in a little self-reflection. So first question, are you, or have you ever suffered from the superwoman complex? What have been the implications? mental, physical, emotion of trying to be a superwoman? Has your upbringing played a role in your perception of having to be a superwoman? And how so? What steps can you take to break the habit of trying to do everything and be everyone to the people in your personal and professional lives? I would absolutely love for you all to share your stories with me please feel free to email me at info at with any questions or to provide any insight or advice to fellow listeners. This is a very important topic and I would like to know what your experiences have been. We've covered a lot in this episode, but there is so much more to be uncovered. I look forward to continuing to have this conversation with you. Thank you so much for spending some time with me today. It has been great sharing this space with you. I hope that you have taken what you've needed so you can share what you've learned and that you are on your way to living, being, and working in and on purpose. I encourage you to stay connected with me. Please remember to subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you listen. And don't forget to visit my website, www.wajitasmall.com, where you can subscribe to my blog, register for one of my signature courses, inquire about individual coaching, or purchase one of my books. Till next time.